So that, for atmospheric effect, is the sound of the Pacific Ocean. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening and downloading the Arcade Podcast for this special episode, one of two that I'm recording from the National Conference on the Beginning Design Student. You may remember, if you've been listening since the beginning, that when this podcast started about a year ago, I had the opportunity to go to Texas uh, to the University of Houston for the 31st NCBDS, which is an annual conference concerned primarily with architectural design education for the students at the beginning of their career, beginning design being that fascinating pedagogical subject of trying to understand how we teach students who are entering a design discipline for the first time. And I'm really happy to say that with uh, some support from the Moffat University and the Leicester School of Architecture, I'm here again for my second NCBDS and I'll be speaking tomorrow. And luckily for me, the host this year is Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, a town uh, about 150, 200 miles north of Los Angeles. And the conference is taking place over two days. The second day of the conference will be at the Cal Poly campus in San Luis Obispo, which I'm looking forward to seeing for the first time. But the first day of the conference, which is today, Friday, the 26th of February, is at the Cliffs Resort in Pismo Beach, California. Um, you probably don't have to know what Pismo Beach looks like to have a pretty good idea. Uh, I'm standing just below the hotel on the uh, steps down to the beach. The sun is shining, the surf is looking pretty good, and there are some surfers out there ready to catch some waves. So these two episodes, very much like last year's, will be smorgasbords without any intended overarching theme. I'm just going to be talking to some of the delegates at the conference, most of whom are speaking, and asking them what their impressions have been of the conference, what themes are emerging, and what has brought them to the NCBDS. So stay tuned, and this episode will hopefully go out within the next 24 hours if I can be disciplined and not sample the fine Californian wines and craft beers. I hope to go back to my hotel room tonight and edit this together and broadcast it tonight through iTunes and the usual method. And if you enjoy this episode, stay tuned. There should be another one uh, 24 to 48 hours later, looking at the second day of the conference. Claire Olson from Cal Poly, you spoke on the first morning and isn't it wonderful at a conference when you can give your paper and then you can just relax? Oh my goodness, it's so nice. I'm really happy that it's over, but at the same time, you know, the the discussions, the reason, whole reason that one comes to a conference like this um, and hosts one, I, I happen to be a host as well, is to uh, engage in the conversations and, and they've really been great so far this morning. We've only had two sessions, but I'm enjoying it a lot. And so we met a year ago and that was in Houston and now a year has passed since I've seen you last. What, what's it been like preparing this and what's been coming through the papers as you've received them and built the conference program together? You know, we were really uh, happy and surprised by the number of 
paper submittals we had, and I think it was that's really due to the conference theme of one to one. I think uh, it's it's a very broad idea, not just in terms of one to one construction, of course, but we had the largest number of submissions were in our kind of tools tactics category, which are is about making. But we have we have attendees from all over the world who are interested in this topic, especially in in the context of beginning design, and so um, I'm I'm really thrilled that that everyone is here. You've taught at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo for a number of years now. Um, can you just say in a few words what would you say the character of the school is and how that contributes to this conference theme of one-to-one? The university's motto is learn by doing and I was really impressed when I interviewed at Cal Poly at how engaged students are in making. We have a really huge shop. Uh, the, the first year curriculum includes uh, d- the design and construction of one-to-one sculptural objects at first and then they and then in the next quarter they make something that they actually have to inhabit and I was really impressed with how how uh, in the curriculum the students are making at large scale right from the beginning well for anyone who's listening who thinks there's a pool at Cal Poly we're not at Cal Poly now this is a hotel <laughs> <That's true. laughs> but I look forward when we move to the conference the second day of the conference we'll be going over to campus tomorrow and I look forward to hopefully meeting some of the students as well and seeing their work. And I, I definitely hope the students are there, and, and we're really excited to host you all at Cal Poly and for you to see the, the exhibitions of student work and, and our campus. So, Pete Russell, it's really nice to see a face I recognize at the NCBDS, and there are lots of people I know from last year, but it's the first time you've been to the conference. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you're speaking about this week. Um, I'm speaking about our work with uh, Habitat for Humanity, like a lot of others. Um, And what we're trying to do is develop an approach that is partnership-based rather than project-based in response to the perceived issue that design-build projects struggle to fit in the academic calendar. And so trying to answer that problem. And this morning there were a couple of papers on design build again, and I don't know which ones you saw, but I was intrigued by the the ways in which people are talking about design build. They're getting much closer to the ethical issues, which have always interested me, about going to places not in your home country and doing work there at the same time. And I presume you've had to navigate some of those. Um, Yes, very much. Um, Buffalo is a very segregated city and a very um, economically diverse city. And so... We deal with that in town and some of the ethical issues, and we've had some some uh, comments about is what Habitat does on a daily basis architecture enough for us to be involved? And then we have the other side of the spectrum that just says, you know, it doesn't matter what we're teaching in the class, it should be a three-credit elective and they could be taking it for community service credits to build a social awareness. And I don't think we have any answers to that, but we're definitely in the middle of it. What makes it architectural for you as a, an assistant professor of architecture at University of Buffalo? What makes it architecture for me is, especially the, the partnership-based model, is that we can get students to experience kind of the physicality of a built form without necessarily having them require the fastening of every piece of material or pounding of every nail or... Um, finishing the project in its whole, and so we can come, we can come in and out of the project, um, and glean the most educational benefits from it at a timescale that works. Um, likewise, we can have this kind of social awareness and see that um, that everybody, regardless of what 
color shirt they're wearing and how black it may be that they can uh, they can benefit or or not benefit from architecture depending on how it's done. Finally, what do you hope to take away from this conference? Um, Apart from vitamin D, vitamin C, vitamin E, sitting here in the sunshine by the Pacific. It is nice to be outside. It's it's wonderful. Um, <laughs> Literally, not in. You mean outside, as in outside a building? I mean outside a building. Yes, with, with, without running to a car and no no snow shoveling equipment. This is fantastic. Uh, does this does this affect design build in Buffalo? Do you have a much shorter window of opportunity to do things? Yes and no. Our windows aren't necessarily shorter, but the students that we require must be heartier. So we're, we're on site now, and um, there are students that are not willing to go and students that are willing to go, and so that it takes a mindset. So prospective students of architecture take note. If you want to go to the University of Buffalo, you need to be made of strong stuff. Or have a good coat. Or have a good coat. A good coat is all you need. <laughs> I don't necessarily know what I, what I expected to take away, but I'm absolutely blown away being surrounded by people that care greatly about thinking of first year design as kind of its own discipline really and really considering how to do it better. Hi, I'm Brad Deal, uh, assistant professor at Louisiana Tech University and I teach uh, design build program there. And this afternoon, just after lunch, we had a session and I seem to be in a design build funk at the moment. I'm just going to see lots of papers where delegates are talking about projects where things have been built and yours is one of those along with your co-presenter. Miguel Lasala, Miguel, assistant professor at Louisiana Tech. Design build is a culture which is so much stronger in American architectural education. When I come here, it seems that everyone in the room in that session put their hand up when they were asked had they been involved in design build. And it seems like every school of architecture in this country has some kind of process of engaging with that, that concept as a teaching tool. And so you showed a, a sort of modest pavilion project, but which I found fascinating because you've done it for two years now, and the second year actually involved taking apart the first one and seeing how it came together. Was that an intentional part of the project when you began it? Absolutely. We, we wanted to... Uh, it was an intentional part of the second round, I should say. So, so we wanted to have the students understand... Uh, tectonics and think about things critically and so in order to engage a really useful precedent we had this version from the previous year uh, and part of the uh, beginning of a mock-up assignment where they had to uh, explore multiple variations on any given connection within their design was to disassemble uh, the previous year's work and then use those parts to put their own connections back together but I think they learned some significant lessons about how fasteners work the strength of different dimensions of material uh, and, and then it informed their designs uh, quite a bit. That, again, that fed really nicely into the paper that came afterwards from Kathleen Nagel and Paul Pettigrew from IIT in Chicago, where they made a series of pavilions for a um, generic breakfast jam-filled pastry snack company, yes. um, where they, they talked very much about that, they, a series of lectures where they needed to introduce students to what, what timber junctions work, you know, what what bolts, how many times do you need to bolt something that's going to stick together? And you were doing this with the first year students at the beginning of the program. Correct. And how did you find their reaction to those sort of the literal nuts and bolts of learning how to put something together? 
So my students uh, were, were just elated to get their hands dirty and to get out of the studio. So we do this at the end of the academic year, uh, and they've sort of been cooped up in the building for the winter, and the temperature is nice. So, uh, and then we have this small window of time when it, it's just beautiful outside before it gets extremely hot and muggy. So this uh, conveniently happened right in that window of really great weather. So <laughs> uh, part, part of, honestly, part of their motivation to... Uh, get out of the design studio and get their hands dirty was it was beautiful outside and so it, it played into our, our timing of the assignment a little bit. And so where will you go next with this when you repeat this project for the third year? What will be different and what will be the same? So we're, we're just about to start that project again uh, in about three weeks and so uh, we will certainly hang on to the idea of collaborative design uh, rather than a, a competitive design process where one is selected. Um, I think we may uh, go in a direction where there are multiple projects, uh, smaller groups. I think that was something that guys from IIT uh, in the way that they ran their studio was, was really useful for and maybe for us to have uh, give more ownership of each design to all of the students. I think that uh, you have to reduce the scale when you reduce the size of the group scale of the project uh, and I think that could be a small trade-off but I think it would be, it'll be good for uh, the students who get to make their own thing and have even more ownership of the thing that they end up with in, at full scale. And I know we've only been here really a few hours in the conference, other than the eating and drinking yesterday. <laughs> what uh, have you taken away from it so far? You know, I, I think the most significant thing I heard in a session earlier, uh, the one of one of the questions from the audience was, I think it cuts across the entire conference, it, is... It, the question of is design build and full scale construction should it be a required part of freshman curriculum in, in schools of architecture and uh, there was a good discussion that followed but I'd, I'd have to say I, I would say enthusiastically yes it should be uh, something that is required at some point because I think if you don't if you just talk about the thing being construction or the building and without ever doing it or experiencing it uh, you don't understand your decisions as a designer and I think it, we get that most professionals get that uh, understanding that knowledge far too late in their career it's usually when you're out in practice and you've designed a few buildings and you've walked through them after that then you understand how to be a better designer and I think this earlier we can replicate that that back and forth process of design and experience and reflect and then design and experience reflect again uh, the more earlier we can get that uh, feedback loop going the, the better uh, we'll end up with our the future generations of architects. I'd, in my PhD, I was very interested in looking at how the other professions do this. So in medicine, mm -hmm. how, you, how um, students will go out on the rounds, mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily in the first year of their education, but you know, within a year or two of beginning, they'll be introduced to what the doctor that they're shadowing is doing in the, in the, um, in the setting of a university hospital. And it's different, I would say. I mean, I imagine it would be different in the legal profession because, of course, you... <laughs> you can learn so much of that, you can sort of simulate the practice. But as you say, the actual making of uh, buildings or interventions to buildings, there isn't really not much, there's no simulation that can be for actually doing it and, and screwing up. You've got you've to make a mistake mm -hmm. with your own hands. And I think what, what the way I run my project at Louisiana Tech, um, there's a low, there are very low penalties for, for failure. Uh, we, we're at our own shop space, it's, there's no client involved. It's the students' own money paying for the materials. Uh, there, there's, there's, there's all, they can completely fail, and it won't hurt anyone. Where you know that's different in a hospital or, or in a legal situation. And I think 
uh, it's good to have uh, that safety net in place and the, those those conditions where it's okay to, to screw up. I think uh, later in their careers, they can't screw up. They'll be fired. But uh, I think we have that this, this condition uh, where we do a small design build in our freshman year, and then we also do uh, a larger design build as in their junior year where there is a client, and there are much higher uh, sort of penalties for, for big mistakes if we have major design errors or uh, some, some problem where we waste a bunch of material because we've cut it all wrong. But uh, I think it's good to start off at some point where we, there is this reflection and experience process uh, of, of the thing that we are designing uh, and then you elevate the stakes later. I completely agree and I, in my own teaching in the first year at De Montfort University I am very passionate about explaining to students that there is a space for them to fail and it's difficult because students especially in the UK come through a secondary education system which is um, really structured around a fear of any kind of failure the, mm-hmm. it's, it's so so important to keep up your grade point average or your, your average mark um, the whole way through that they're very reluctant to try and make mistakes at the AAE conference in Sheffield two summers ago uh, the conversation came up in one session about uh, creating what was in that session called a, um, a space for failure and the, um, the conference had a resident cartoonist going around sketching called Mark Parsons he did this amazing drawing of what the space for failure would look like in an architecture school and it's a, a room which is partially on fire with the ceiling tiles missing and a student slumped over an oil canister which is leaking <laughs> so I think we should definitely aspire to create spaces for failure you know absolutely and what's the worst that could happen with power tools and 100 students <laughs> right yeah my name is Kathy Nagel. I teach at Illinois Institute of Technology. I am Paul Pettigrew, and I also teach architecture at the Illinois Institute of Technology in Chicago. In fact, we don't even call it that anymore. Now we're Illinois Tech, so we have to get the word out that uh, we are officially rebranding, rebranding as <laughs> Illinois Tech rather than IIT. Is that because the reputation of IIT is something you're not proud of? No, it has nothing to do with it. In fact, I, I think if you polled about 99 out of 100 architects at IIT, they would all say IIT still. It, um, I think it's more of a university uh, idea. That, that, um, uh, but we don't, I don't... Well, when you Google IIT, you come up with an institute in India, and mm-hmm. I think they wanted to avoid... Apparently a good a, school. According to some of our Indian students, they claim it's a good school in India. Um, and in Chicago, we also have a school called ITT, which is, um, I don't know if you know this company, DeVry. It's a kind of a for-profit educational institution. And so often people will think that you teach at ITT rather than IIT. So. Well, it, it sort of kills my, the, I only wanted to interview you because I wanted to know about what it's like to teach architecture in India. So. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, whatever it's called, you've come all the way from Chicago. And today you gave a joint paper where you talked about a design build project that you've been doing in the first year for 17 years is that right there's sort of 17 years of we've done some sort of full-scale project for about 17 or 18 years and they varied quite a bit so this was we both kind of fell into it in the sense that when we joined up at IIT they had already started this idea of doing a a full-scale real material project more or less at the end of the school year I think and so by the time Kathy and I started we kind of just rolled with that idea and then just became part of its evolution over the years. And so it's changed dramatically. Early on, when Crown Hall was in disrepair, we were able to literally attach projects to the curtain wall, uh, pull weights and 
crazy things through the windows and the air slots. Pop the ceiling tiles Pop out. Pop the ceiling tiles <laughs> and hang projects from the ceiling. And so, uh, so projects really had an awful lot to do with Crown Hall itself for a long period of time. And then when Crown Hall was renovated and restored, um, we were no longer allowed to even lean something up against the curtain wall, which sort of pushed us out of the building, essentially. And today you presented a project, a live project with a client, uh, a mile and a half away from your campus, uh, a manufacturer of, as you so tactfully put it, off-brand, generic, jam-filled breakfast, toastable pastries (laughs) that we shall not refer to by their... uh, Non-generic name, correct. And how would you say that little project, these little... uh, little uh, pavilions which could fit on a pallet and a forklift truck which were built for factory employees to enjoy while they're in the company garden on their exercise break or their walking break. How would you say that is manifesting the evolution that you talked about of your projects after so many years of doing them? What, what do you think you've learned that's brought you to this phase today? Well, I, you know, we often have conflicting pedagogic objectives and I think sometimes you have to in recent years, we really found that um, some of our larger projects that were material explorations, um, which, while quite compelling, uh, ended up in dumpsters at the end of the year. And the students learned a lot from them in terms of um, kind of uh, how material guides design. They were a little less predictive, perhaps. Um, but I think in recent years, the last several years, making a project that was more sustainable kind of came to the fore in terms of the priorities of our objectives. And so we started to look for projects that could have either a permanent home or at least a longer lifespan. We had done projects that were a little more abstract that became sort of sculptural pieces for a client that lasted for a couple of years. You know, we found a home for them later, or we did projects on campus um, that had lasted uh, a little longer. This was the first time we'd actually worked with a client off campus, and uh, so it had um, a number of constraints that it put on the project. But the idea that we could have a, a project that uh, would have a longer lifespan, um, I think, had, had value. And that's, that's where we've evolved. And it's not that we don't think the other projects um, had a lot of, uh, you know, sort of wonderful learning experiences. It's just that we had to make choices. Yeah, I think I would even suggest that the students, I don't know that the students are necessarily learning something different today than they learned 17 years ago. I think that the, the core of what they're, they're gaining from the experience of actually designing and then physically making their design is, is unchanged. But I think in some ways the, the, the assignment itself has changed with the time. 17 years ago we weren't talking as much about uh, issues related to sustainability and today all of a sudden you know, they are at the forefront. And so the idea that you could you could do a project of full-scale real materials and then dump it used, used to be something we didn't even think twice about. Now today that seems absurd or contradictory to, to, um, to some, like a key element of, of well, what we should be trying, thinking about. And what we're trying to teach students in studio and in other coursework as well. And so it's the um, it's this sort of first afternoon of the conference and we, we're, as, as you said, we're sort of shirking that last session because it's that sort of caffeine slump that we're all experiencing. Uh, so far, what have you uh, enjoyed the most or what have you, um, what do you, what's made a good impression of you, of the sessions and the events that we've seen so far? Well, of course, the session we just came out of, they did a nice pairing where we were with other uh, faculty from different parts of the country that uh, 
also work on design-build projects that are similar in nature. And, uh, and it really is the reason I like to come here. I mean, there's the sort of, yes, we like to get our own work out there so people can hear about it, but uh, what you're able to kind of learn and take back with you to um, your own institution and then sort of modify and, and learn from is, is one of the key, the key reasons to be here. And uh, so even in today's uh, group, uh, aspects of the one of the speaker's projects, I'm already thinking about that one <laughs> for, for how we too might tap into some of what they did that, uh, what, that we thought was really strong. It was true last year. The, in Houston, there was a paper that stuck with me, and it's now part of the curriculum that I'm delivering. Um, so in that sense, it is like a sweet shop to go and pick other people's ideas, but also their experience of what has worked and what hasn't worked. A number of us are struggling with similar issues, and sort of, you know, for instance, in the discussion um, after the th- our three were presented in our session, is that you know group work, how you deal with large groups, small groups, um, how you get students to really be invested in the design, um, and different strategies for how you go about that, and what is the role of design? What, how do you characterize design within this studio setting? Um, but I think just how you structure a project to, for each student to get the most out of it. I think there was quite a few things that sparked my imagination from that session as well. Yeah, and I might, I mean, uh, it's slightly parallel to the topic maybe, but, the, but to me, I think you could Google search all day and you wouldn't find this much current information about first year or beginning design uh, around the world, right? Um, you, you know, this stuff just doesn't exist. You, it's not out there on the internet yet. This is about as fresh, <laughs> as fresh as it gets in the sense that everybody pretty much is presenting recently incubated projects. And, uh, and, and in most cases, they're very willing to talk about not only the success of their project, but where they may have come up short or areas they'd like to improve in the future. And so I think there's a certain amount of honesty that's here as well. And, uh, and, you, and, you, and so you get to learn from, from that. I'm, I've, I've never been to a conference where it became combative or where the audience was... Um, giving you a hard time uh, or really questioning your your methodology or even your content but I've heard these these sorts of events <laughs> exist out there in academia and uh, you know it's something I'm not all that interested in I'm not necessarily interested in people telling me all the things I did wrong so much as the maybe the few things that I did right that uh, that they think they might be able to you know learn from or take back to their own schools yeah there's always peer review for publication for that you can (laughs) we don't need that today (laughs) exactly yeah Yeah, i've definitely been rejected enough by those to uh (laughs) to understand what that sounds like and what that uh, uh feels like yeah my name is alexis suggs and i'm a student at the university of utah as a senior yep michael hain uh from south carolina originally at the university of utah a senior i'm scott thorne I'm from the University of Utah. I'm a senior this year. And somewhat unusually, this is a conference which is always filled with academics who come and present papers. You're here as students, and you spoke during the paper to talk about some of the work that you have been involved in the last few years. I presume you've been sitting in some of the sessions today. What have you seen of, you know, you're looking behind the curtain, if you like, at the way architectural educators talk when they're not around students. What have you seen today that has interested you about this conference? Well, it's, it's basically like we're at a top-secret meeting. Um, like, we're behind the scenes. We're seeing all of these, like, 
teachers that some we know, some we don't know, but like the recipe behind what they're actually bringing to us as students. And we're seeing like other people's curriculum as well. And we're like, oh, what are we being taught? Like, how can we bring this back to other students? What can I do in my life uh, with all these different assignments? You know, it's really cool to see other processes. Yeah, I've really seen uh, a lot of that behind the scenes of what goes into what our professors are presenting to us and things that I figured were normal and standard across the board. I'm finding out that some of our professors have clearly gotten ideas from conferences like this and are working really hard to um, bring us new ideas and new techniques that I felt were standard, but now I'm seeing that they are really on the edge of you know, what's happening, what's new in architectural education. There's been some frustration as well as relief, I think, from the students' perspective. There are things that, going through the program, we catch little nitpicky things that we don't like, we don't agree with, things that we could see being better that's held back for tradition or whatever other reason. And it's in some ways perpetuated here just by necessity. There's no universal answer. But on the other hand, there's a lot of people that have been really open-minded about changing their curriculum, taking student feedback. It's been really impressive seeing people come up to us and say it's nice to see students here. And so next year, the NCBDS is going to be at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. I've never been to Salt Lake City. What can uh, I expect to discover? What is the sort of what does the school feel like? How would you describe it to someone who's never been there? What's the culture of the school? It's definitely a smaller school, but it's a really tight knit community. I've heard from a lot of people uh, as they come in as adjunct professors that there doesn't seem to be a sense of like cutthroat competition and that we all like really band together. And um, so it's really that smaller community and um, a lot of professors pushing to do interesting and new things. Um, So I think you'll see a lot of community engagement in there. And I believe the topic is empathy in architecture. So it's really emphasized in our curriculum and it's just showing other people and having other people talk about it. Having, like I'm not from Utah, um, and this is the first school of architecture that I've ever been to, but it was really inviting just to be part of a, it's a smaller community-based school, um, but having come from a smaller town, I still feel the same vibes um, that you would get in a smaller town in school. That's it for the first of these two special episodes from the National Conference on the Beginning Design Student, hosted by Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. I'll be back in the next 24 hours with highlights from the second day of the conference. Thank you to all my guests for talking to me today. If you'd like to comment on something you've heard, find the podcast on Twitter, at ArcEdPodcast. Remember, you can get every new episode of the podcast automatically to your device by subscribing. Go to the iTunes store and search for the Arcade Podcast, or if you prefer to use your alternative podcast catcher, just go to the website, arcadepodcast.com, for full instructions.